0: So before I get to our second sermon today, um, <laughs> I, I have to, I, it, it, there's a somber note we're starting our service on today. I don't know if, um, oh, I thought he was coming up for a third. Um, uh, I don't know if you heard this, but there was another shooting in the synagogue this morning. Um, and this time it's in San Diego. Uh, and it happened... You know, not that long ago, there were shootings uh, in churches, Um, and so, unfortunately, this is something that's a part of our culture as a nation right now. And so, you know, when this happens in a synagogue, uh, it actually hits really close home for us because, like I said, not that long ago, there were several shootings in churches in the United States as well. Um, And they're connected to the same themes and fears and angers and biases um, that are demonic, and in our culture. So today I want to pray, and I want to pray in particular uh, for what we saw last week in the resurrection. What happened in the resurrection was uh, Jesus and God the Father teamed up, and their mission was to use evil to defeat itself. And so uh, evil crucified Jesus thinking they could kill him right? And the power of God raised him to the dead, and what he did was take evil on his shoulders and put it to death on the cross. He flipped it. They flipped the story. And so as these things happen in our nation, I want to pray that, um, you know, as Joseph said to his brothers, what you intended for evil, God has used for good. Now, the loss of life is not good, but perhaps by the grace of God out of this Um, It will change the perceptions of people in our country and be a part of something bigger and better happening, some transformation, some healing, and some change. Let's pray. Father, first we join with those who have been hurt and have experienced loss and tragedy through this latest shooting We pray that whatever their needs are, you would come alongside them and meet them in that place. We pray they would have people in their lives to not only comfort them, but give them space, uh, to give them room not to have to have the answers or make sense of this. And we pray for the families and the communities involved that you would flip this for them, that there would be some redemption that they would see some good come out of such a horrible situation eventually, but not have the pressure to see that either. And then for our nation, we pray that as these things happen, it will change the hearts of men and women in this country. And that transformation, resurrection, a resurrection comes after tragedy. And we pray that through this tragedy, new life would be born. We don't know what that looks like but we trust that you do. And even as the scripture teaches us that Jesus is at the right hand of God interceding for us right now, even in the areas we don't understand how change will come or what to pray, we join our amen with Jesus as he prays in all wisdom. In the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. So, does anyone know what the biggest trend in American spirituality is. Now, it's something that I've started referring to as the March of the Nuns. Anyone know why? Maybe? If you've been listening to the news recently, there have been several reports of how the fastest-growing religious group in America that has recently passed up Catholics in terms of numbers of adherents... Number one slot now, depending on the report you read, somewhere between 22 and 25% of Americans now belong to this group. This remarkably, anyone know what it is? This remarkably, I gave you a clue already, this remarkably fast-growing group are known as the quote-unquote religiously unaffiliated, sometimes called the nuns, N-O-N-E-S, not N-U-N-S. And the fact that almost a quarter of Americans overall identify as unaffiliated, which, by the way, is up from 12%, roughly, just about a decade ago. (coughs) Think about that. That's pretty impressive. But if you look more closely at the numbers, this shift is even more dramatic. You see, the shift isn't happening uniformly over all the generations. It's happening. It's happening quickly. And in particular, statistics tell us that 40% of millennials self-identify as unaffiliated. And of that 40%, 76% of them grew up in a church. 76% of the nuns come from a church background. Something big is happening, and it's happening quickly. Sociological changes don't happen in a decade like this. This is rare. This is fast. It's a big deal happening. We're living through it right now. Something about 21st century churches are not working for 21st century people in America. At the end of last summer, I started having the same conversation. This happened a couple times in my life. Like, I'll have four coffee appointments in a row, and they'll all have the same theme. And the end of last summer, I started hearing the same story over and over. So I'd sit down with Mosaic folks, and they'd been traveling over the summer, visiting their hometowns, going to reunions, and getting together with good friends from college, whatever it was, and they found themselves reconnecting with high school youth group friends campus fellowship teammates, former mission team members. And as they were, they were discovering something. And as we had coffee, they would explain it to me as as this. They would usually say something almost exactly like this, Brad, I'm the only one left. And I'd say, what do you mean the only one left? What they're trying to tell me is they were the only person from their former Christian cohort, that was still following Jesus or even attending church. Now we're talking about their exec team members and campus fellowships, their mission team members they traveled around the world with trying to tell people about Jesus, their youth group team leaders. I'm the only one left. Most of these people were late 20s, early 30s, meaning they're right in that last 10-year zone, where the percentage of people who don't identify with anything has doubled, and as millennials have come to the fore, uh, 75% of them, 76% who grew up in churches, are disaffiliating. So our friends, we've, we've seen this happening. It's not just a statistic. It's our best friends from 10 years ago. And for those of you who have been Christians for that long, it's the people you worked with to worship Jesus and even tell other people about him. And over my sabbatical, I had the chance to do some reflecting and some writing. And one thing I did was think about, it seemed like the common denominator, obviously, because they were talking to me and they go to our church, for the folks that hadn't disaffiliated was they were connected to our church. And so I thought about, why is that? And as I did, what we're going to talk about today and for the next several weeks are some of the conclusions that I've come to. This seems important to me. Thousands of people, particularly young people from church backgrounds, are leaving churches in droves. And at the same time, our church, as imperfect as we are, let me set that out there in the front, seems to be helping Christians work through whatever 21st century challenges to their faith uh, face them. And not only that, maybe providing a space for people on the front end of faith who are turned off by the same things to have the opportunity to reconsider or lean into Jesus and faith in him. Think about yourself. I know your stories. So many of you have had one foot out the door when it comes to faith in Jesus, right? Or for some reason, you've been able to find and connect to Jesus here for the first time. And so what I'm going to talk about today for many of you is the reason, whether you've realized it, that you're here this morning, in this room. And so I want to say, pay attention. Don't take it for granted. Because not only do you need this, this community, not only do many people in your life need what I'm going to be talking about today, but, and I've thought about this, and I don't usually do this, And I'm specifically trying not to exaggerate, but I'm also convinced that churches in America need this broadly, and that it's somewhat unique. Young adults, but not just young adults in America, are opting out of Christian faith at an historic rate, but for some reason not here. And this is something that God has taught us that is a gift that we need to understand so that we don't take it for granted, so that we can nurture it, and so that we can share it to and with a world that needs Jesus and needs churches that can effectively invite people into life changing experiences of Him. So that's what we're going to talk about the next several weeks. What, as I've thought about it, we've learned that's so important, it's making a difference in this area. Sound interesting? The first thing I've noticed, and today we're going to talk about values, and I think as we move along we'll talk about more specific issues that people struggle with, but today it's about values. The first essential value is freedom. Matthew 16, 15. Now, I think when I gave this to our administrator, I accidentally gave her Matthew 6, 15. (laughs) So, What's uh, projected behind me may not be what I read. Matthew 16, 15 is this. Jesus says, But what about you? He asked, Who do you say I am? He you was know, a kid growing up in a conservative evangelical church. I was given a very particular picture of what a Christian leader was. Christian leaders, particularly pastors, were the people who knew the answers. They had studied more and were more spiritual. It was best to listen to what they said and just do it. They had worked things out ahead of me, and I should just take heed. And as a pastor myself, I still believe that. No. (laughs) Listen to me. Uh, As a pastor myself, I expected myself to be an expert too. Bring on your questions, your problems, your issues. The pastor is in, I thought. You know, a few months into actually leading a church, I realized that that wasn't the case at all. People had difficult, complicated situations in their lives. They had long histories with disappointments, loss, and trauma. And sometimes, believe it or not, They knew more than me about certain things. You know, that 28-year-old rookie trying to plant a church actually didn't know about a lot of things. Go figure. And I began to feel overwhelmed and depressed, and I realized that I would eventually, that I would have to give up the role of expert to actually be helpful to people on their journey of faith. It wasn't healthy, and it wasn't helpful for me to tell people what they should do. Although that's the only thing I'd ever seen in my whole life. That's what I saw modeled. Pastors tell you what you should do, what you shouldn't do. But what I realized is that people needed freedom to make their own decisions. Now, this can be more of a challenge to Christian leaders and just people in general than we initially realize. Think about most of the approaches to helping people work out their faith that you've experienced. They tend to be focused on answering people's questions and giving them the right answers. Right? And the thought is, if people just had the right answer or the right answer offered in a more palatable, nuanced way, Their problems would be solved and they would just get on board. But my experience is that just simply isn't true. And your friends, if you've been a Christian for a while, that aren't following Jesus anymore, that hasn't been true for them. They've had the right answers, haven't they? They went to your campus fellowship, they got the right answers. They went to your church, they got the right answers. It wasn't what they needed. We need space, not answers. Matthew 13, 34, Jesus spoke all these things to the crowd in parables. He did not say anything to them without using a parable. This is the approach that Jesus most often took and was the most effective. Jesus definitely preached some sermons. Don't get me wrong. He definitely had teachings, particularly to people who thought they had the right answers. But for people who were looking, who were searching, who were trying to figure it out, he met their questions with questions. People who come to him and ask him a question, somebody should do this. I'd love to know the percentages of replies from Jesus that was another question, not the right answer. Or they ask him a question, and what do they get? A story, a parable, not a formula, not a theology. Not an answer, a parable. Parables never, underline never, give you the right answer. There's no summary at the end. Instead, they invite you to engage, to think for yourself, to come to your own conclusions. That's the whole point of a parable. This is what people need today. This is what people who are giving up on faith in Jesus, need today. They don't need to be indoctrinated. They've had plenty of that, and it's turning them off. They need a free space to honestly lean into their concerns and challenges with faith, where their final conclusions are up to them and not predetermined. Second essential value, safety. John 8, 10 11. Jesus straightened up and asked her, Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? No one, sir, she said. Then neither do I condemn you, Jesus declared. Go now and leave your life of sin. Unconditional love, acceptance, grace. These are three of the most universally accepted and identified markers of Jesus and his teachings and his life in the world. Yet, when asked about Christianity in the 21st century, young people are slow to associate Christianity with any of those qualities. Research by the Barna Group reports that half of young churchgoers perceive Christianity to be, quote, these are young churchgoers. Quote, judgmental, hypocritical, and too political. And these are just the people who admit it. A quarter of born-again Christians, without prompting, in these survey settings, reported, without prompting, reported, quote, Christianity in today's society no longer looks like Jesus. How many people were thinking that? They just came out and said it. There wasn't a question about it. Young adults, people in general, regularly expect the church to be a hostile environment for people who hold views that are not considered traditional or politically acceptable. And this means they often keep their thoughts and their opinions and their concerns to themselves for fear of being judged, rejected, or pushed out. Under these conditions, church is not safe. The 21st century, people need a place where they can express all of their concerns, all of their doubts, all of their struggles, and know that they will be met with love, acceptance, and grace. We need acceptance, not suspicion, I think I put it. We need acceptance, not judgment. Jesus was great at this. When judgmental people gathered stones, to attack a disgraced woman, he stepped in, quelling the mob, and famously saying to her, has no one condemned you? Then neither do I condemn you. Now, and you see this in Jesus' next statement, leave your life of sin, not every conclusion that someone can come to is consistent with the model, the life, the teachings of Jesus. But, few will ever be able to embrace any of those things if they're not first accepted for who they are, just as Jesus accepted this woman, Jesus held even her sin in safety so that she could experience his overwhelming love, acceptance, and grace. Did you notice that? Held her sin in safety. She was guilty. He protected her. You can belong here. No matter what you believe or what you doubt or what your background is or whatever crazy thing you're involved in or believe or whatever, we're not likely to be shocked. And even when we are, our value is not to judge. You're still accepted and loved and welcome. You've got a beef with the church or organized religion. Join the club. And let's get it out there and talk about it and work on it and make sure that the beef we have with faith is actually connected to Jesus before we write Jesus off. The biggest problem I think a lot of my friends have had that aren't following Jesus anymore is they didn't have that space. They couldn't talk about it. They couldn't work through it for fear of being judged or pushed out or told exactly what to think or believe. And even if it wasn't said, it was implied or else. So they never did it until it was too late. And then Jesus just got lumped in with all the other junk that they'd experienced. And he, like the baby with the bathwater, got thrown out. And I bet it wasn't even really him that was pushing them away. Finally, third essential value, empowerment. Now many of you might be, I'm sure you're at least kind of familiar with the story, if not really familiar, the story of David and his little tussle with Goliath. Ever heard of that? David and Goliath? So Goliath, just a little background just in case, Goliath the giant was taunting the Israelites with claims that challenged the very validity of their faith. And David was the only one with the gumption to stand up to him. And as David, a young boy really prepared to face the giant the king of israel gave him to help him his armor to wear into battle if you don't know the story here's what happened there was one problem david was small he was a teenager and the king was a middle-aged man and the armor didn't fit it was too heavy it was too big it was unwieldy it was restricting And David would go into battle, but he couldn't be successful in King Saul's armor. He needed to choose his own, even if it didn't make sense to the people around him. David went with a shepherd's staff, a sling, and a stone, which must have seemed ridiculous to Saul. <laughs> and we know what happens next, right? At least maybe you saw Veggie Tales, I'm not sure. But David became the most famous underdog in history, of course, slaying the giant with his own unique approach. 21st century people don't need to be forced into clothing that doesn't fit. They don't need King Saul's, who with the best of intentions try to send them into the world in misfitting armor. Most need people along the lines of Gandalf, Obi-Wan Kenobi. Who's your favorite? Mentors, partners, who can come alongside them and help them discover for themselves what a good, true, and healthy faith looks like. This type of faith that arises through this type of process is real and lasting because it's owned by the sojourner, by the person on the journey. It's not prescribed for them or worse, forced upon them, but rather discovered and embraced. People need discovery, not prescription. It works like this, Matthew 13, 44. (laughs) One of Jesus' parables. I'm going to tell you exactly what it means. Matthew 13, The kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field. When a, man, when a man found it, he hid it again, and then in his joy went and sold all he had and bought that field. This is it. Right here. This is it. No one had to force this dude to buy the field. He wasn't boxed in and given no other alternative. And that's why we encourage people to ask their questions and look for answers that resonate with their experience of a challenging but accepting Jesus. This actually helps people with one foot out the door find an understanding of faith that's not made in their own image. Notice here, it costs this guy everything that he owned, yet fits better than their favorite pair of jeans and this faith is real because it's been discovered and embraced rather than prescribed and consented to. You see the difference? Now before I wrap up, I just I want to make a couple points of clarification. Now I've talked today about freedom and safety and empowerment with an underlying expectation that people when provided with these things are much more likely <laughs> to not only find a treasure in the field, but understand that it is a treasure. And I believe this. And I believe that's what many of us have experienced here. But here's a couple things I'm not saying. I'm not saying that it's healthy and the expectation is that people will build a faith that is whatever they want it to be. That that's cool, you know. Whatever is comfortable for people is what works. So we should encourage people to have Jesus any way they want to. And if something in faith is hard or challenging or apparently offensive, it's healthy and cool if we just edit it out. No, 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 no. That's not what we're saying. That's not the only other option we have to forcing people to believe a certain thing. And that's not what we do here. What we do is encourage people to look for and discover a treasure hidden in a field. And that's what we believe following Jesus is. The treasure, the key to life. But here's the thing. Treasure costs. It costs. That's what makes it treasure. The man in that parable, he sold everything to have that. What makes it a treasure is that you would sacrifice other things to have it. Following Jesus is amazing, but it's not easy. Following Jesus changes us. It doesn't change Jesus. And if we settle on a faith that we create in our own image that doesn't change us, that's not treasure. That's ordinary In the end, that's, that's not much faith at all. Second, this doesn't mean we can't teach with conviction. I hope that's what I'm doing today. And I think you can probably sense that. When we say people need space, not answers, or discovery, not prescription, we're not saying that we can't teach or train people in the way of Jesus. We have to do that. So many of our default settings are off. They need recalibration. They need to be corrected. And Jesus preached sermons and had lots of teachings. Here's what we are saying. As we teach, our hope is that we do it with humility. That means we're aware that we're imperfect, just like everyone else. That we might be missing something and that people have the space to consider what is being taught and buy it or not. So what I'm preaching here today, I believe it deeply. I have a lot of conviction about this. I care about it. I see it in scripture. I've seen it work in real life. I basically wrote a book about it over my sabbatical. I, I, I believe this stuff. Yet, and I hope this comes through because I feel so deeply about this, I know that I might have some nuances wrong, or someday I might understand things differently. So you have the freedom to listen and buy right in, or listen and sit with things, or listen and decide you see it differently. You have space. Now, over the years, I've had people push me on this. Push me on my preaching style. More than once. More than twice. They would say more than three times. Uh, I feel like I'm in an auction. And they'd say things to me like just tell me the way it is, give me the meat, lay it down. Give it to me. Take it or leave it. And if a preacher left them no room to disagree, that's when they thought it was challenging. That's a cop-out. Everyone in this room, you need to think. You don't need me to tell you what to think. I've always brought to you what I've learned, what I believe, what I'm convicted of. I've brought it with conviction. I've tried to base my own life on what I've taught you. But Lord knows, as convinced as I am, I might be wrong sometimes. I don't think it happens that often. (laughs) But you need to actually engage with what I'm saying and with Jesus. That's where the treasure is. And hopefully, a little bit of humility on my part helps to open that space for you to engage with the Holy Spirit. Finally, what I've experienced is that sometimes as we, sometimes an approach that leaves people room feels scary. For some of you, hearing this, your mind goes right to, oh, wait, wait, wait. If people are given space to doubt, challenge, and consider different approaches, if we don't ultimately tell them what the right answer is that they have to take in, they might decide to believe the wrong thing and even stop following Jesus. And if that's what you're thinking, let me reassure you. Yes, that is and needs to be a real possibility. How is that reassuring? It's reassuring because it's the approach Jesus most often took and was the most effective for him. And I talked about that earlier. But also, this approach, I think, is really a question of faith. That's the overall dynamic here, faith are we willing to let go of control and trust the Holy Spirit to lead people into deeper relationship with Jesus? My experience is that when people are given this freedom, when they're allowed to come to their own conclusions, they very often meet the Holy Spirit in the process. And the result is they own their faith. It comes alive They dive into community and engagement with Jesus and others. They find real treasure, and when you find treasure, you don't let it go. You find Jesus. Let's pray. Jesus, you built into our community some things that maybe aren't so intuitive in this day and age, would you take it deeper? Would, could we be people of conviction, deep conviction, that allow people space and safe places to come to their own deep convictions? And we trust that as we do that, Holy Spirit, you're right in the middle of it, and you are more trustworthy at being a guide and a teacher uh, than I am or anyone else in this room. <laughs> Amen. Uh, if you're on the worship team, go on, go on make your way up. Um, we're going to start our time of worship. It's a little bit longer service today, because it's the last week of the month, and the last week of the month we do communion together. We take communion together. Of course, we had the baby dedication as well. So I want to read a scripture to you to uh, prepare our hearts uh, for communion that reminds us of one of the aspects of what uh, the crucifixion of Jesus means. This is Ephesians chapter 2. And it says this about Jesus. For he himself is our peace Uh, Jesus, as we take communion together, uh, we remember, it reminds us of your sacrifice. Uh, The bread reminds us of your body that was broken for us. The juice reminds us of your blood that was spilt. And we pray as we come together and we take communion uh, that we would not only remember this, but that this ritual would help connect us to you. that we would meet you here and find you here, in your presence here. Amen.